The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 8 of the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. My name is Kate Sutter and I'm your host for today. Super excited to have in the studio with me today, Kate Casey, who is a patient here at Cincinnati Children's, and Dr. Melody Blackledge, who has joined us as well today um, to learn more about Kate's story. So as we get started, would you both just give us a brief introduction, um, just kind of set the stage so we can hear your voices and learn a little bit about you. Kate, would you get us started? Yep. So my name is Kate Casey. I'm 18 and I am a senior at Turpin High School. Um, next year, I will be attending the University of Texas in Austin, which I'm super excited about. Um, so yeah. And how long have you been a patient here, Kate? So I've pretty much gone to children's my whole life, but this past year, I have um, gone to children's a lot more frequently um, and seen a lot more doctors here. Fantastic, we're super glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. And Dr. Melody Blackledge, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yes, thank you. I will not share my age. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm Melody Blackledge. I'm a general pediatrician. I was in group practice in Cincinnati for 18 years. And for the last decade or so, I've been back at Cincinnati Children's. And for the last four years, I've been working as a pediatrician in the Division of Human Genetics, serving the hypermobile population. And I am excited to dig into that a little bit more with you as we kind of get into this story. Um, and hypermobility is going to be a theme of today's conversation. Um, but I really would love for us to start um, with Kate, your story. Would you just tell us what's been going on with you? And you said you've been a patient here most of your life, but things kind of picked up a bit in the last year. Um, could we start there? Yeah, definitely. So um, the in late fall, early winter of 2020, I started to um, have issues with participating in my everyday activities. I just really could not participate in the same capacity that I was before, which was super frustrating for me. Um, and I would say like the most frustrating part was just not understanding what was wrong with me. And it took almost four or five months to find real answers, um, just seeing different doctors here in Cincinnati, until I was referred to a doctor in Tennessee to be um, tested for POTS, which stands for postural, postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. So in March of 2021, I was diagnosed with POTS, and from there, we kind of looked at it from a holistic view of um, not just my POTS, but what was going on with you know my joint pain and my stomach problems. So from there, I was uh, I was referred to doctors at Children's, like Dr. Blackledge, um, who I saw for my joint pain, and I was diagnosed with hypermobility spectrum disorder, and I've been working with a GI doctor. Once I was diagnosed, it was kind of a journey of just understanding why my body was acting the way it was, and I 
met with incredible doctors that really explained why my body was doing that, which was super helpful in understanding how I can take that information and understand um, why my body is acting the way it is and then implementing lifestyle changes to help with that, which has been a super important part of my journey. And even to this day, I'm still working on making lifestyle changes to benefit my health. So will you... um Thank you for that, Kate. And it sounds like you have certainly been on quite a journey. Um, When you say that you were having a hard time participating in everyday activities, what kind of stuff was going on? Yeah, so I used to row, which was pretty much my whole entire life was rowing. Um, And I just really could not participate in the daily workouts. Uh, I was just feeling super dizzy, super fatigued, and I knew that this was not normal. Um, And it is super hard to be in a situation like that where it is invisible, and it kind of gets to the point where um, when you can't find answers immediately, you kind of question um, if you're just, like, if it's just in your head. But I just really could not participate without feeling overwhelmingly dizzy, like I was going to pass out, or um, I just really did not have the energy either. And that's just so hard when there's something happening with your body that you don't understand. Um, Dr. Blackledge, will you help us unpack a little bit of what Kate said? Now, granted, we're kind of on the other side of this time when she was really struggling to understand what was happening. So we know more now. Um, Will you just tell us a bit about what it is that that Kate's been dealing with? Sure. Sure. So again, as Kate said, POTS is an acronym for Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. What that means is a person changes position their blood vessels just can't keep up and tachycardia is a rapid heart rate trying to make up for that. So POTS, as it's known, accompanies a lot of different um, disorders and we're hearing about it much in the news right now because long COVID, post COVID is very much associated with people having POTS. And it, the, the symptoms that Kate described are, are very similar to those who have all sorts of different issues which also accompany POTS. I am not a POTS specialist, and I was so glad that Kate found a POTS specialist to help her with that diagnosis and understanding, but I do work with one of the associated um, medical issues that often ap- accompanies POTS, and that is hypermobility. And Kate mentioned that she had that diagnosis as well, and that's how she found you and how you two found each other. Yes. And so tell us a bit about hypermobility because I, we hear it um, in kind of the context of Cincinnati Children's, and I understand that um, it's sometimes part of an Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, um, diagnosis as well, but it's much more than that. Can you help unpack a little bit of that for us too, please? Sure. If we just go with the word hypermobility, what in the world does that mean? Mm -hmm. It focuses on the joints. The joints are anything that bend, like elbows, fingers, shoulders, knees. Hypermobility is that those joints bend or move in a way that are exceptional. 
they are beyond the normal range of what most people can do. Hypermobility is diagnosed actually clinically um, by measuring the joints with a handy dandy tool that Kate has seen called a goniometer. This goniometer looks like something, a remnant from a, what, a geometry class or yeah, something? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the scale, the score that we use the most often to determine if someone is hypermobile is called the Byton score. And that measures several parts of the body. The fifth finger, the pinky finger, and the way they measure that is if you were laying your hand flat on the table and all the other fingers stayed flat, could you raise that pinky finger past 90 degrees at its base? So we get the goniometer out, we measure it, and a lot of people can go to 90 degrees, but the exceptional thing is going beyond it, okay. which is why you need those goniometers. And so again, it measures the pinky finger, the wrists, the knees, and the spine and the elbows. So that measurement itself is how we define hypermobility. Hypermobility spectrum disorder is actually a huge range of symptoms and associated symptoms. And on one far end of that spectrum is what you mentioned, the hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. Mm -hmm. In our study in our clinic, about 40% of our patients have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos, 60% are the hypermobility spectrum disorder. Mm. And one of the things I always say is people all along that spectrum can have all the same symptoms, all the same misery, all the same associated challenges. And so we basically treat and address it the same all along the spectrum. And so how are these two things kind of intertwined for Kate? Because I know she mentioned that joint pain was part of what she was struggling with. Correct. So one thing to keep in mind is not everyone with hypermobility has joint pain. Mm -hmm. The aspect that helps us diagnose hypermobility spectrum disorder is people with hypermobility and symptoms. So in many, many people, hypermobility is just a trait, like having brown eyes. And it never causes any troubles, and oftentimes it gives them extra extra advantage in sports and in dance and in other things to move their body in a hypermobile way. It's when hypermobility is accompanied by symptoms that people are classified as having hypermobility spectrum disorder. The symptoms can be various. And when I think about HSD or hypermobility spectrum disorder, I think of three major things. The first is the hypermobility itself. The second is what I call receptors. And the third is the autonomic nervous system. So if you think about the hypermobility itself, a hypermobile joint is just too loose when it bends. Think about a loose hinge on a door. Mm -hmm. It's not only gonna scrape and scratch and make a lot of noise, but it's gonna make that door harder to work. With a hypermobile joint, the reason we have so many problems with increased pain, increased joint fatigue, increased risk of injury, and early wear and tear, which can lead to early arthritis, is because that joint is just too loose. It's too loose because the main set of muscles that are responsible for keeping that joint together, the deep or stabilizing muscles, can only function if the joint is tight. 
So if you've got a joint that's too loose, those muscles don't have a way of functioning, and then the power muscles think they have to take over. When you think of power muscles, think about your quads and your biceps, those big muscles. When they're asked to do a job they were never designed to do, they get tired, cranky, and they cannot do a good job. It takes them so much work to stabilize a joint because they weren't meant to do that. And then people end up having joint instability, something called a subluxation where that joint pulls sort of apart or a dislocation where that joint pulls really apart. And those cause extra pain and damage to the joint as well. So what we do for that is we refer to hypermobility physical therapy, which focuses on those very deep muscles, trying to wake them up and have them do their job well. And we do basically lifestyle changes, as Kate was mentioning, including wearing well-fitting shoes and arch supports and not overextending joints by avoiding certain sports and activities like trampoline, tumbling, gymnastics, and competitive football. So one of the things I loved hearing Kate say was that she she learned about lifestyle changes to help her function better and to do better. That's what working with hypermobility is all about. It's all about learning what your body needs to function better. And sometimes it's not intuitive. Sometimes you need to look at it from the point of view of the joint. So that's the hypermobility itself. Mm -hmm. The very best exercise, by the way, is swimming. Anything in the pool can really help stabilize that joint and keep those joints much healthier. The second thing is what I call receptors, and that will get me more into Kate's experience with POTS. There are two sets of receptors that are very sensitive to hypermobility. One of those is called the muscle spindle fiber. The muscle spindle fiber is exactly what it sounds like. It's a fiber that wraps around and through the muscles, and depending where that muscle is in space, they send their millions of messages to the brain, brain makes a map of where those are, and then knows where the body is. If your brain knows where your body is, it can protect you. The problem is if you have those loose joints, then you have loose muscles and you have loose muscle spindle fibers. And many people with hypermobility just really don't know where their body is in space. It's like charging your cell phone. You've got to have a good plug at the phone, good plug at the wall. It's not going to charge. Mm -hmm. Your brain's not getting charged. That can look, that's called proprioception or body awareness. And what it can look like is, clumsiness, tripping up and down steps, bumping into walls, ankle rolling is a big one. Because if you think about it, if your ankle even started to roll and your brain saw it, your brain would stop it. Your brain would not want you to hurt your ankle, but the brain doesn't see it till you've already lost your balance. So those are the muscle spindle fibers, which makes it difficult in hypermobility because you're already prone to injury because of the loose joints and then your brain can't protect you. The other set of fibers or receptors is called the baroreceptor. And just to back up, when I think about a receptor, that can be a hard concept to understand. I always think about motion sensor lights. If you've ever walked into a room and the lights pop on just by your motion, mm -hmm. those are caused, caused by the little sensor, the motion sensor. When I think of a receptor in the body, I think of a sensor. Something triggers something else to happen. Another set of those besides the muscle spindle fibers is called the baroreceptor. They live in the blood vessels. Their only job is to make sure you get enough blood to your brain at all times. Mm. The way they're supposed to work is when you go from sitting down to standing up, gravity wants to pull the blood to your feet. 
those receptors are supposed to fire just like the motion sensor light switch and say, uh-uh, squeeze off blood vessels, get that blood back up to your brain. In hypermobility, we see that those receptors simply don't work. And one of the theories is if you've got loose joints, you've got loose connective tissues, you've got loose blood vessels, and those receptors just don't fire. So a lot of people who have POTS are experiencing this orthostatic intolerance, mm -hmm. this orthostatic instability, and orthostatic just means change in position. And so they're just, when they stand up, they get dizzy, they get lightheaded, they get um, blurred vision, their heart races, they feel fatigued because they're not getting enough blood to the brain at all times. So what we do for that is to do something Kate really adopted early on, and that is drinking a huge amount of fluid each day, because what that does is it just stretches the blood vessels, which stretches the receptors, which helps them function. But the receptors have a side job. Those baroreceptors are also supposed to trigger thirst. And in many people with hypermobility, they are never thirsty, and certainly not thirsty enough to drink the recommended 80 to 100 ounces of fluid a day. It is a lot of fluid. Once somebody gets used to it though, it functions so much better. I had one very bright high school student who worked on this for years and he finally came back and he said, I figured it out. If I think to drink, I drink to think. He said if he just thinks to drink, his thinking is so much more clear and he's able to keep up better with better energy. So the first thing is the hydration. The second thing is adding some electrolytes to your drinking because what that does is it actually um, causes fluid retention. It keeps the blood in the blood vessels longer. And people also benefit from things like compression knee highs. That just keeps the blood vessels and the legs closer together. And I always ask my patients if they still have trouble with dizziness when they stand up, do ankle pumps, tap their feet, get those muscles in your legs moving to get the blood back to the brain earlier. So that's one aspect of the orthostatic intolerance, which many people then um, have the actual POTS syndrome that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people with orthostatic intolerance who don't have POTS. They don't fit that definition. But again, just like everything along that spectrum of hypermobility, they can share the misery and the issues that go along with it. So headaches are also very much a common part of that. The number one reason is not enough blood to the brain at all times, and often people with hypermobility have bad migraines and bad headaches, mm -hmm. which we approach much the same way as we do the, the, with the fluid and the extra electrolytes, et cetera. The second reason for headaches, though, in the hypermobile population can be posture, especially if somebody's looking down. Imagine your common posture looking at your cell phone the neck is arched forward. And if you're hypermobile and those neck joints are loose, that can cause extra tension on your neck and the capsule of your skull and cause some pretty bad headaches, usually mid to late in the day. So that leads me to the third. I'm sorry if I'm taking too long, but the third is the autonomic nervous system. And when I hear autonomic, I think automatic because it's your heart rate, your blood pressure, your breathing, your digestion. The autonomic nervous system has two parts. The one part is called sympathetic, that we know is fight, flight, or freeze. The other part is parasympathetic, that we know is rest and digest. Those are two parts of the same nervous system. They have to balance. In happy, healthy, well-functioning people, they balance mid-range. Oftentimes with people with hypermobility, they don't. 
because the brain is getting so many mixed messages. It doesn't know where the body is in space. It's not getting enough blood to the brain at all times. When the brain gets mixed messages, it always does the same thing to protect you. It always goes into fight or flight. If the fight or flight is up, the rest and digest has to be down because they have to balance like a scale. A way raised up fight or flight looks like overthinking, anxiety, trouble turning your brain off at night to go to sleep, increased pain, increased pain, increased pain, and fatigue. People are exhausted. If that's up, the rest and digest is shut down. And so once people get to sleep, they may not feel like they're rested. They may have restless sleep, and their digestive system can often be upset. So the one thing we know from a hypermobility standpoint that helps reset this fight or flight is cardio, which means exercise enough to get your heart rate elevated. That is so confusing in people with POTS because as a baseline, that heart rate's all over the place and it can't, can't find a place to, to rest. So what I say is just work hard enough that you're a little bit short of breath, still being able to speak two and three word sentences, but keep it up for a full 30 minutes. That 30 minutes is magic because at that 30 minute mark, in most research shows that's where the that's the mark where norepinephrine is released and over time that daily release resets the fight or flight. Here's the hitch. If you're doing a cardio that's too hard for your joints, too hard for your body, or above your limits of endurance, the fight or flight goes back up. So in the old days, we used to tell people, gosh, you've got loose joints, protect them, don't do much. Everybody gets worse and everybody gets worse if they're not sticking within what their joints can handle and within their limits of endurance. So that's something physical therapy really helps with. It helps strengthen the joints and helps each individual find out what their li limits of endurance are. So if that fight or flight is up, the rest and digest is down, and there's a lot of interesting research. Dr. Kovacic at um, Wisconsin Children's is doing great work, as is the GI team here, including Dr. Santucci, in gastroenterology at Cincinnati Children's. They're doing great work studying that rest and digest part. Yeah. Is there something we can do on that end to help the vagus nerve function better to help raise that rest and digest? And they're, they're doing a lot of interesting work on that, so stay tuned. We might have something more that can help with that. But for now, it's more the, the lifestyle changes, as Kate said. That's what we have that we know really helps. So with each of those three kind of areas that you described, I heard it going back to, you know, some of the things that Kate shared that she was struggling with. So um, including you were saying that you had some GI issues. And I mean, this is one of those things that for people who've been struggling, this can explain a whole lot of seemingly unrelated symptoms. Um but there are, the medical community, from what I understand that you've shared with us, kind of views hypermobility and POTS differently. There's kind of a spectrum there, too, of perceived legitimacy of these, um, of these diagnoses. Do we understand where that came from or where, where that originates? I think I do. I, 
one thing I understand is that in 2017 and available to us basically January of 2018, um, new guidelines were released for the diagnosis of the clinical diagnosis of hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It's a very strict set of guidelines mm -hmm. and it does not include the comorbidities or those things associated with hypermobility. For instance, you won't see POTS on there, you won't see gastroparesis, you won't see all the associated things, mm -hmm. but on the diagnostic criteria, you will see hypermobility. You will see the joint pain and dislocations. You will see other things as far as the skin changes, et cetera. Now that we have that stricter criteria, we have a better idea of how to diagnose hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it's a diagnosis of exclusion. You need to make sure there's nothing else going on causing the symptoms, such as rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or something else that could be causing the symptoms. Once you've made sure it's not something else, if they meet that criteria, they have the diagnosis of hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Mm -hmm. But a huge number of people, and as I mentioned, about 60% in my clinic alone, do not meet the criteria for hypermobile EDS, but have hypermobility spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. Back to your question though, yes, there are a good number of people in the medical community who don't quite believe that hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome exists. And I think in part that's because it was such a liberally granted diagnosis before. Mm. So if people had a little bit of hypermobility and POTS, they were called EDS. And I think as such, the clinical physician scientists said, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Can this even be real? I think right now we have much more precise diagnostic criteria. And so I think over time, people will begin to understand that yes, there is something called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It has a very rich set of problems and issues and challenges, but that's also shared by another community that now is termed the hypermobility spectrum disorders. And Kate, I know that you mentioned that you had been a patient here for your whole life, but kind of most of these symptoms really started becoming problematic for you um, just more recently in your teenage years. Looking back now, can you can you see some of these symptoms that you had have, have had longer than just within the last couple of years? Yeah, so I actually have struggled with migraines since I was like around 12 or so. So I'm actually in the migraine clinic at Children's and I really could never figure out a solution to my migraines. Um, so it's now been like almost six years in that clinic. Um, and I guess there was just no real explanation until recently. Um, and Dr. Blackledge kind of talked about how um, hypermobility can contribute to that. But I definitely have seen that. And throughout my life, I've always been that kid that's always injured while playing their sport, um, which super frustrating, but I never understood why. So I do, I have seen a lot of those symptoms throughout my life that just kind of came full circle in the past year. One of the things I just wanted to add to that is that many times the symptoms of hypermobility mm -hmm. don't appear in full force until puberty in girls. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason of that is because estrogen, the female hormone, always makes the joints looser and more painful. And so it's not unusual to have a patient who's been very active, doing very well, 
And then with the onset of puberty, things really change. That is not unusual at all. The second thing is that um, in people who've been very active, keeping up the activity is great. What I often see is young people have done very, very well until they get an injury, an illness, a change in schedule, something else happens that they're no longer able to keep up with their activity. And once they stop, then they're not achieving that 30 minutes, five days a week, that dysautonomia, that autonomic nervous system goes crazy. So it may have been lurking there, but being treated by the young person still being active in their sports and doing pretty well. But an injury and illness, something else comes in the way, and then the symptoms just, just become very apparent. That is fascinating. That is absolutely fascinating that it's that like pause that can, that can trigger some of these things. Um, Kate, as you reflect back, and uh, since we know, um, you know, as Dr. Blackledge said, fantastic that you found the right provider um, or the right combination of providers for you. Um, it can just be such a hard thing to do, to piece together yourself um, when you often don't understand. Is there anything that you, any changes that you like dream of in the medical community that feel like they would be helpful to you as a patient? Yeah, so I think that something that would be super beneficial for every doctor is to kind of take a step back from their specialty and just try to look at a patient from a holistic view, which is what I think Dr. Blackledge does an amazing job with, is just looking at all of my symptoms and how they relate to each other because what I found on my journey was because I had so many symptoms going on, I felt like certain doctors just kind of dismissed them since um, they were so broad and like they varied so much um, and they kind of struggled looking at it from a holistic view of like understanding how that all pieces together if that makes sense um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it would be super beneficial for doctors to just kind of take a step back um, because something else that I've experienced a lot on my journey is kind of contradicting advice which can be super confusing and frustrating for a patient like this is kind of a silly example I mean it seems kind of silly but like for example one doctor told me you know you need to be drinking all this Gatorade and then one doctor told me no that is so bad for you you shouldn't be drinking Gatorade and again it might seem like a small little silly example but that can be really frustrating and confusing for somebody in my position so I guess just looking at it from um, a broader viewpoint would be really beneficial to the patient and Dr. Blackledge it sounds like this um, you know, you've helped Kate as she has, you know, come to this point where she's understanding more about her own body. But you mentioned that you're a, you were a pediatrician in the community. You're a, a general pediatrician. How did you come to have interest in helping patients like Kate? It's, well, I decided very early I was going to be a pediatrician, and the reason I decided very early was because I was born without a hip socket. So I had a, a congenital hip dislocation that was pretty severe, so I never developed 
the socket part of the ball and socket joint of my hip. So I was always a child who had trouble keeping up and I knew what it was like to grow up with pain. Um, but I remember as of yesterday, the conversation with my mother when I was four and I know I was four because the babysitter we had at the time moved away when I turned five. But my mother said, you know, you're pretty smart and you're good with people. Would you ever consider becoming a doctor? Now, mind you, this was in the early 60s, and I looked at her and I said, Mom, girls are nurses. And I remember how her eyes narrowed, and she looked very stern, and she said, not always. And the very next week, she changed my personal physician to a woman doctor. So I just knew. I just knew I was going to grow to be a pediatrician. It was just, and my focus at that time was to make sure another child didn't go through what I went through. Because if it had been caught early enough, it would have been much better for me. A lot of the hypermobile world is living with the same things, the joint issues, the concerns, that if we can look through a preventive focus, if we can look on how can we preserve those joints, how can we keep them from being damaged, how can we keep enough blood going to the brain at all times, how can we have a, a holistic picture, as, as Kate said, of protecting so that the young person can develop both their full potential and live a great full life, how can we do this? And right now I view part of my role is I'm helping young people like Kate find their village, their village of providers to try to help, the neurologist for the headaches, the cardiologist for other issues, definitely the hypermobility-focused uh, physical therapists. It's how can we help you build your village so that you no longer need me because you understand your hypermobility well enough that you know who to call and you know what you need. I think if we as a children's hospital, if we as a medical community could take it to the higher level, it wouldn't be up to the patient to build their village. We would be able to have a multi-specialty, multidisciplinary approach that would really help nurture patients with hypermobility in a way that would help them move forward. As I'm hearing, you know, Kate tell her story and you're sharing with us, Dr. Blackledge, just all of the things that um, patients who have hypermobility spectrum disorder are kind of managing on a daily basis, trying to figure things out, trying to help themselves feel better, trying to um, just do all of the things. And then to have a condition that is largely invisible to the people around you as well. Um, I'd love to hear a little reflection on that, Kate. Like, who in your life um, has been able to help you and how have you kind of determined how much of what you are managing at any given time you share with other people who are in your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I personally am not somebody that loves to talk to my friends about it. And the reason for that is I just don't want it to define me in any way. So I definitely, for me, I found it super important to explain it to them um, because it's impossible to expect your friends to have that patience or whatever you expect from them without fully discussing it and explaining it to them. So I found that super important, but once you know we talked about it, I really don't like to bring it up um, when I don't have to. Um, for me, I mostly talk to my mom about it. <laughs> and she's somebody that 
sees like the worst side of it. Like I feel comfortable just kind of ranting to her about it. And that helps me a tremendous amount. Um, and one of my best friends has a chronic disease. It's not very similar to mine, but just like the fact that we can kind of relate on different topics, again, like totally different conditions, but just like being able to kind of talk about how it's affect our lives is really helpful for me and just having that person to kind of confide in. Um, and I know that she gets me. So that's been super helpful. Um, I, I hope that kind of explained it. Yeah, for sure. And Dr. Blackledge, how do you help patients through this kind of sometimes isolating part of having a condition that's difficult? It, it is isolating. And I think one of the challenges for me as a provider is that social media is a wonderful thing. It has lots of good resources. Unfortunately, there is a lot on social media that actually drives people into a very negative approach. And I understand where that's coming from because I know it's a human human tendency to, well, just isn't there something to treat it? Isn't there a pill? Isn't there some surgery? Isn't there something else that can help? And we know in the hypermobile population, there really aren't pills. Collagen supplements don't do anything to help. They're not evidence-based as being beneficial for joints or muscle strength at all in this population. And unfortunately, surgical corrections are not the answer either. They do not heal as well, and the patient with a hypermobile joint will have to have revisions later on. So surgical answers are not the answer. Pills are not the answer. It's the boring things. It's the wearing the good-fitting arch supports. It's sleeping with body pillows or, or joint supports at night so your joints don't come too loose during sleep. It's hydrating, it's exercising, it's sleeping well at night. It's all those things that are basic lifestyle changes that are not very glitzy, not very glamorous, and they're not a one-stop cure. However, the internet is full of one-stop cures for almost everything. And unfortunately, I've seen, especially a lot of my adolescents, follow down that path of the promises and also the community of those who use the internet and social media to commiserate in a negative way so they're not outliving their lives as they, as they could be. Mm -hmm. Kate, have you seen um, kind of this, this social media um, come to life? Like, it, do you, are, are, you, are you paying attention at all to what's happening out there? Because it definitely sounds like you have embraced the lifestyle changes and um, it, it sounds like they have helped but it, it sounds like there are plenty of other young people who haven't gotten there yet yeah so I definitely think that social media can be incredibly beneficial for some people that find these communities um, that really encourage each other to make these changes and kind of give advice and tricks because it's not all like lined up lined up out for us you know like it's not just on the internet for us to read what to do um so I think that there are 
cases where these support groups are super beneficial and just supporting each other and giving advice. But I also think that some people go down these social media routes that can be extremely misleading and toxic. Um, and like, for example, I, I have seen this on social media all the time where it seems like people are just wanting the most extreme treatment. And I think that it's really enticing to, first of all, just see somebody on social media that has the same condition as you. It's just like a feeling of having somebody that relates to you. And I think that we forget that every experience is so different from each other. It, it, that just goes out of our head. And we just think, wow, we have the same exact experience as this person. Um, but I also think that seeing these, it, I guess you can call them influencers, that are promoting these medicines or surgeries, I think that's that can be enticing to us because we see that as a quick fix. You know, we, we know that if we tore our ACL, we could just get a surgery and, and go to physical therapy. And there's a timeline mapped out for us. And it, it's human nature to want that black and white healing process. But the reality for people with um, like my conditions, it's just not how it works. Um, so I think that we're just, we, we fall into this hole of seeing these people that just expect quick fixes and we want that for ourselves. So we kind of feed into that. Um, but in reality, that's just not what is going to be most beneficial. And I know for myself, I, like, I think that there's two completely different viewpoints, people that just want a quick fix and people that want to feel like they are in control. And personally, I want to feel like I'm in control and I feel most in control by having lifestyle changes. You know, I can control how much water I'm drinking. I can control my diet. I can control when I go to bed, um, how much activity I'm doing every day. I can control those things, which is a really empowering feeling for myself. Um, so I think that there's kind of two paths that people go down and it's super important to promote that idea of not just lifestyle changes but emphasizing like the empowerment behind that and dr blackledge if we if you had one of these adolescents in front of you a kiddo who has found something on the internet that just is they're they're stuck on it they're hung up hung up on it um, but you know from so much experience that it's not going to be a good path. What would you say to that patient or that, that adolescent? I'm at a bit of a loss. I have found several times that I can't reach through. So I rely on sharing what we do know, what we do know works, what is evidence-based, Many of the patients who can't be reached are those who have found a tribe or a culture from their diagnosis. And they, Kate mentioned the words, she didn't want her diagnosis to become her identity. That's Kate's strength. Many patients, as soon as they have a diagnosis, it becomes their identity and they're entirely absorbed in a tribal approach to it and a culture around that diagnosis. 
And I think the danger in that is there are a lot of other things that can be causing a lot of the same symptoms. And as a physician, I am disturbed that patients absorb one diagnosis, but then they they may not be open to understanding that there could be more and there could be other ways to approach it, um, mostly with lifestyle changes. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, as we are, we, we need to wrap up um, what we've been talking about, but is there anything else about your experience, Kate, that you would love to share or anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we do? Um, I guess I would like to say to patients that feel like they aren't receiving the supports they, they want and they feel like they deserve to just take a stand um, like I did. And I feel like what I've been doing has been extremely rewarding for myself, and I, I think that it's beneficial to others. So if you feel like there are any errors in the system, I encourage patients to speak up because I know Cincinnati Children's is always willing to listen and do everything they can to make the environment better for everybody. And Dr. Blackledge, that's a really interesting point that Kate just brought up, that it can be hard to find the providers to help. Any advice for somebody? If we reach somebody in Cincinnati, that's fantastic. They can always come here. But um, our hope is that we might reach people farther and wider than just our own backyard. And if somebody's struggling to find a provider who will listen, um, any thoughts on the right questions to ask, the right buttons to push, the right calls to make? There are some organizations that are very reliable. One is the Ehlers-Danlos Society, and they are a wonderful group of resources of people, and their information is reliable and it's evidence-based. They also have a list of providers. So it, oftentimes I encourage patients who live outside of our referral area, outside of our demographic area, so I cannot see them, to, to call the Ehlers-Danlos Society and ask if there's someone in their area. Um, I, was, I was hoping that the more we can educate, the more providers will be able to understand as well and be able to better serve this population. But I am so proud of Kate for telling her story because I think it's through voices such as Kate's that we will be able to really reach not only providers but other patients and families as well. I am so grateful to both of you for spending this time with us today. Thank you. Thank you for helping our listeners better understand hypermobility. I think that my hope is that we will reach someone who says, wow, that sounds a lot like me. And maybe we will help them find the right next step so that they feel better and are able to hopefully employ some of these changes that you've been so successful with, Kate, and find, um, find comfort in that. And so again, thank you both for your time today. And we'll wrap it up there. You've been listening to the Young and Healthy Podcast. We'll see you next time. The 
This episode was recorded on April 25th, 2022. The content of the Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes. Our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco, and this episode was produced by Symphony Fair Harris. Still the same Symphony, she got married recently. Congrats. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.